Field Notes brand, USA-made memo books and other products, including seasonal limited editions. Visit fieldnotesbrands.com or 400 North May in Chicago. Dynasty Podcasts is proud to present PodClass, a series of conversations recorded at a college, university, or other academic or industry setting. Today, a live conversation with Dynasty Podcasts for Martin Adkins' music distribution class at SAE Institute in Chicago. Here's how that sounds. Here we are at uh, SAE again. This is our music distribution class, which kind of dovetails into... um, another form of distribution than, than getting your music out there digitally, um, radio and podcasting. So um, we're lucky enough to have Heimer Black and Layla Royale here. So we're going to talk about everything from commercial radio, where we met when you were at uh, Q101 Chicago, um, all the way up to podcasting in the future because now you have a an extremely successful podcast dynasty podcast which has just gone over 100,000 listens yeah so we've been we've been lucky no you haven't been lucky you've just worked your nuts off well basically. sure but a lot of people work hard and it doesn't always work out so so yeah thank you martin um i recognize some of the faces in here and some of the you guys i do not my name is Haima Black. Like Martin said, I have a company called Dynasty Podcasts with my producer Layla here, who is running the board. Um, I met Martin when I was younger. I worked at a radio station called Q101. Q101 was the like premier alternative rock station here in Chicago. It went off um, the air off terrestrial FM radio in 2011 um, when there was a change in ownership in the parent company. And I had been doing podcasting before they went off the air. I've been doing podcasting since 2005, but once they went off the air, I was able to really kind of focus on it in a different way and really make it more of a full-time thing. So I'm going to kind of, I guess, bounce around. We'll talk a little bit about radio and a little bit about podcasting and get your guys' questions, Martin's input. We'll make it interactive. Um, So the really quick version of this is I started doing radio work when I was like 15 years old because I was really in love with radio. That was like 1998. I was lucky enough to get... um, some internships to kind of get my feet wet. I got a college radio internship in 98 in like the spring of my high school freshman year um, at Loyola Radio, thanks to a woman named Jenny Lezak who was working there, who now works at Metro and Jenny is awesome. So Jenny and I met through like a mutual project, another friend of mine from school was working on. Jenny was gracious enough to give me me an internship at Loyola Radio. A few months later, after kind of pestering him a bit, I got an internship with a guy named Chris Payne, who was um, the overnight, like late night guy at a station called Rock 1035. So I was helping Chris Payne for about six months as an intern at like this major market rock station, like akin to like K-Rock or something like that. Then that station went off the air. So like spring, I'm at the college station. Summer, I'm at Rock 1035. And then by fall, Rock 1035 went off the air. Chris Payne, the DJ I was working with, went over to Q101 Radio, and he brought me with him. And then in 2000, so that was all 1998. That was like my first year doing anything with music, and I got three radio internships. I was very lucky. And then by 2001, Chris Payne, who I was working with, took over the local music show at Q101. I became his producer. We started working together there until 2011 when the station went off. I started podcasting in 2005. That's kind of like the short version overview. I know it's bouncing around a lot, but all you really need to know is I started doing radio 
98, podcasting 2005, ended radio in 2011, and now we've been doing this podcast for nine years, which is pretty crazy. Next year will be our 10-year anniversary. So, what I was, what I'm interested in is like, so we've had, we've had, I think we've had turmoil for a long time, you know, um, we could say that terrestrial radio is over because of all of the new platforms, which would be what Spotify, Pandora, Last FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, SoundCloud, everything. YouTube, blah, blah, blah. But I just saw some figures that, like, hey, you know, probably issued by like the radio cheerleading council, that like radio is still the number one discovery. The discovery medium. I just saw that. I just saw those exact figures. I know exactly what you're talking and about. It doesn't make, how does that make any sense? Well, I think that what that's referring to, and I'm just guessing, I could totally be wrong. I think that's referring to like smash pop radio, to like the songs that bring everyone to like Spring Awakening and Lollapalooza. You know, for I think a lot of that stuff, the really popular songs, sure, I bet that radio is still leading a lot of that conversation. But then, all the stuff that's a little bit more obscure that you're digging deeper, that's, I think, people are finding on Spotify and stuff. But isn't then, maybe what's confusing to me is that that, that those, those, that medium is called a discovery medium because from what I know of radio, the last thing, the larger the station, the less likely they are to play something that they don't already know that you like. Well, I listen to, believe it or not, I mean, I worked in rock radio for like, 13 years, I listen to a lot of pop radio because it's just honestly a lot more interesting than what a lot of rock radio is doing right now. And I come from a rock background, but I listen to a lot of pop radio and some of it's just Katy Perry and Rihanna, the stuff they already know that you like. But I do hear them add a lot of like, I mean, a lot, not really a lot, but you know, two or three songs per season, which for pop radio is a lot of like new stuff and new artists. And I'm sure that they're artists who have a lot of testing and a lot of money behind them and stuff. So it's not a big gamble, but I do hear like new artists get cycled in and out every year through radio still. But is that one guy going, people are going to really dig this? No. It's, or is it's, it some corporation going, look at the numbers tracking through these other... That's got to be what it is. Because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. all like, they're all owned by the same company. So it's like one artist getting sent to each affiliate in every market. I mean, yeah, it's all just tested to death, i got to imagine. But, but we looked at some figures. There's like, how many radio, how many FM stations were there? Does anybody remember that? 6,000. That doesn't sound like a lot. It sounds like a lot to me. I did a college radio mail-out of 640 EPs yeah. in the 80s, and that was like, wow, that's a lot of radio stations. But 6,000, I, I think... I think that terrestrial radio is growing in one sense, but then being consolidated in others. Just from what I see where the morning guys are now working for five different syndicated mm -hmm. stations yeah, yeah. so that they shave all the production costs. Off yeah, of that. that's happening a lot. I mean, that's something I've seen in radio is, yeah, you know, either like, uh, um, stations getting voice tracked, which means that someone comes in for an hour, records all of their breaks, and then puts them into the system so that that DJ isn't there for four or six hours. That DJ is getting paid for one hour or something like that, and they don't have to be in the room that whole time. It's just they recorded everything they're going to say, and that gets 
implemented into the playlist. Um, and the break is, hey, yeah, yeah, if you like this, or this or that, you're gonna love that. Yeah, or stations just running automatic overnight. So there's no DJs there, and it's just playing music into music. And this, you know, it's like an iTunes um, library. It's just the music is just running off a computer. You know, so everything's just playing automatically. So, I mean, that's a lot of, I think, what's happening. But, you know, then I look at stuff like iHeartRadio and the stations that are connected to, like, iHeartRadio, like the Kiss FMs and stuff. It seems like they're still doing a lot of cool, like, promotions. And honestly, it feels like a lot of the energy is at pop radio. You know, I don't hear rock radio being adventurous or exciting or doing, you know, pool parties or, you know, doing different things. Rock radio, to me, you know... Right now, sounds like it did 5, 10, 15 years ago. 40 years ago. Yeah, and it's like, I'm not saying that bitterly, like, uh, you know, because the station I worked at went off, because I was very happy with the amount of time I had there, and I was ready to, like, try some different things. So I'm happy that I got to have my time there, but I, I hear pop radio, honestly, being more adventurous than rock radio now, which is weird. So do you, just to talk about... Um just to talk about Q101 for a minute, if that's all right. What a waste of a brand. I mean, it was a brand, wasn't it? I mean, it was, it was definitely a brand. Yeah. So somebody just turned it off one day. Oh, you know, oh, oh my goodness. Uh, I, was at, I, I was talking to the students about a radio convention I was at in Minneapolis, which was mind-boggling. Like, here's a guy, what do you do? I own 400 stations. I'm like, what? Right, huge people in radio, and I think while we were standing in line for Mexican food, Q101 was going off the air. Mm. Maybe five years ago. It was three years ago. Okay, three, three years, years ago in July, I think. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I worked for a station that yeah went off the air in 2011, and um, that was kind of an interesting thing. I'd gone through that once before, but not on this scale. And you know, I mean. The the upside of that, not that there's really an upside to a bunch of people losing their jobs, because that's very, very sad, but the only upside is that we had advance warning that it was going to happen. We didn't know the date for a long time, up until the very like, last week, but we didn't know that it was coming in the next couple weeks or next couple months, so we got to like adjust our program programming accordingly and bring in all of our big guests one last time and... You know, at least we had some warning. A lot of stations go off the air and they don't have any warning whatsoever. It's just somebody shows up for work and then someone walks in the room and says, you're done, we're off the air, we're a country station now or we're a salsa station. We actually had some advance warning, which is, uh, all things considered, pretty remarkable. And at least it enabled the kind of a, hey, countdown to, yeah, you know, yeah, wow. So that was kind of unique for us that we actually got a heads up and we got to like, adjust what we were doing on the radio station in did accordance. It become, did it become a news station? Or I, I don't even remember. It, you know, it. yeah, they, they experimented with a couple different formats and some new people owned it. And, yeah, you know, after that, it wasn't really anything that I had anything to do with. But, yeah, they, they tried some different things and, you know, decided to see what worked and what didn't. It's trial and error. So had you started the podcast while you were still at Q101? Yeah, that was 2005. So I was still working for Chris. And um, I started the podcast just because I, I loved being at Q101. I loved working with Chris. The only thing was I didn't get to really do anything on the air. I was all behind the scenes. And I kind of wanted to start 
seeing what my own version of a radio show would sound like. And the podcast back then was much different. We played a lot more music. Don't tell anyone. That's a secret. Some of it may or may not have been copywritten music. Um, so those podcasts are not up on the internet anymore. Um, but we really built it like a radio show. Like it was like we broke music, we had bands on, and then, you know, music licensing laws are what they are. So we now are just like a music-free music podcast. We don't play any music on the podcast, but we talk with musicians, we talk with music industry people, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. Can you talk for a little bit about your internship? We were talking before we started about internships and, and what that took. You were there for a while. Yeah, so I was really, really eager to get started on work stuff. I don't know why. I just, I was a teenager and I wanted to like, you know, radio at that time sounded like fun. It sounded like people were hanging out with like... It doesn't it anymore? Not the way it used to. Okay, yeah. It yeah. sounded like the DJs were hanging out with like Metallica and strippers and doing drugs. And sometimes that was what was happening, you know? So it sounded cool. It's not like for like a 15-year-old alternative rock kid, like that was where you wanted to be. It was like the Playboy Mansion, you know, but with, you know, Pearl Jam and Corn. So, um, so I, yeah, I was really eager to pursue some internships and I, I was able to set that up with a couple different people, a couple different places. I did two college radio internships, two like terrestrial FM radio internships. I interned at Metro. I interned at the Onion. I was just really eager to get a lot of experience and you know, that all really came about because I was like interested in going in to try and meet some of the people who were working at these radio stations or start, you know, what I learned really quickly is that if you, if you meet one person and you can get an in and then you work hard and then you show them that you're worth keeping around, then you start to meet other people. I met Martin because, you know, Martin has so much experience as a musician. Martin's an author. Martin's an educator. You know, he's got so many things going on and he would come on the show that I worked at at Q101 as a guest and you know he was on pretty regularly so I got to know him there and it was the same thing with internships when I started doing an internship at Q101 um, you know I got really good experience I started meeting people I started meeting bands and then I applied for an internship with The Onion and that was a great experience I was a senior in high school I got to work with their advertising department and go help them this is how long ago it was I would go drive around the city and pick up ads and checks like the printed out advertisements Whoa. Because they couldn't just email them as a PDF. The uh, like the artwork. The artwork. So if I would go oh. to like Double Door, I would pick up their new ad wow. that they would print in the Onion. They would say like, "Oh, new shows on sale this week: The Melvins and Pearl Jam and whoever." So I'd go drive around and pick those up. I got to know everybody in the city that way. And wow. I, you know, secret weapon that is. Yeah, I mean that was that was a great you know opportunity and and it, literally, one day I just you know I was making the rounds every Tuesday, going to Metro, going to Empty Bottle, going to Double Door, going to Shubas, going to all these places that would advertise in the print edition of The Onion. And, you know, already knowing some people at Metro, because the woman who gave me an internship for my very first time was at Metro at that time. You know, she had moved over there. And so literally one Tuesday when I went over to the Metro to pick up the advertisement for The Onion, they just asked me if I wanted an internship. So I came back <laughs> to The Onion and I said, oh, I got an internship with Metro too. You know, and it, but it wasn't like it was just that easy. The only reason I got it is because I was going in every week. I was getting to know people. They saw that I was working. They knew I was already doing Q101. So, you know, doing internships, especially in a city like Chicago, but also now just in general because of the Internet, everything is very 
it's a very small network. The music network, the creative arts, the entertainment industry, the tech space, now everything is very small. And even back then it was, but now with the internet it really is. So if you, the upside is that if you start working really hard, you can get to meet people and you start to see people again and you can get recommended by people and it's, it's not impossible to build a network. The thing you have to be careful of now though is that if you screw up, people know your name. You know, you, I mean, you see like Gawker and all these kind of sites, somebody said something stupid or racist on Twitter and then, you know, within an hour, some writer or blogger at Gawker or one of these sites knows who you are, knows who you work for, knows who your parents are, where you went to school, they publish all that stuff, they say, here's this person who says a terrible thing. And I'm not saying people shouldn't be held accountable if they say terrible things, because you should. I'm just saying now we're in a different age where like, you can build a network and you can get to know people really easily, but if you screw up, there's that much more of a spotlight on you and people can find out who you are really quickly. And then that kind of fucks you because you're, you know, if people Google your name, then it comes up, so-and-so said this stupid thing, and that's the first thing that employers see, and I don't really know how those people are ever supposed to work again in their lives. I'm not really sure how that works. So, you know, I try to just be super, super careful all the time to be a good person, because now it's, it's crazy. But, you know, if you network, you can really get to know people in this city, and especially doing creative work in Chicago. It's a small community, not just music, but music, tech, culture, arts, politics, all of it, you know, fashion, journalism, it's all just one small network here. It's not like you just meet people in music. You get to know everybody if you do this long enough and your reputation carries and, you know, that can be good or bad for you. But if, if you're the kind of person who works hard and gets along with people and wants to make their job easier and get experience, that can be really good for you. So just as a little side thing, because everybody here wants to work in music, the music field, music business field. What does it take? What level of time abuse? Um, All of it. <laughs> oh yeah, what does it take to be in an internship and make an internship work or make five internships work? So here's a couple things that I've noticed. And it's been a long time since I've been an internship done an internship but at the same time when you have your own company and you're still pitching people all the time and you're starting from the ground floor every time you talk to someone for the first time it's a lot like being an intern because it's not like I can just tell them like oh I work for this huge newspaper or I work for this huge radio station that does all the lifting now you know it's like I have to build my own reputation I have to build the own the value of what I'm bringing to them so to make it honestly in music and as an intern now there's a couple things that I think are really necessary one is being adaptive and being able to evolve because, excuse me, if I had never adapted past radio, if I had never started doing podcasting, things could have gone differently. You know, it's, I was able to keep doing media work and keep, you know, doing things like covering Lollapalooza and these kind of things, even after Q101 went off and I didn't have that credential because I'd built something else on my own. So you have to be able to adapt. So, you know, if you got, let's say an internship at a newspaper, they would probably expect you to be able to know how to blog, but maybe it's not enough to know how to blog. Maybe you also need to know how to make an app. And that might not even have any value in your internship today. But maybe six months down the line, their IT department has an opening and you're like, oh, I can make apps. I could take this section of content and put this in an app. Or you can do something totally different. And if you have these skills and you can adapt and evolve and keep up with different things that are happening or even better, be ahead of the curve, 
that's really valuable. So being able to adapt and evolve in anything you do, it doesn't matter what kind of music work you're doing or any work really, like if you can adapt and keep up with all the things that are happening now, that's like essential. If you cannot adapt, you will just, it just won't work anywhere you go. It doesn't matter where you're going. The other thing is finding a way to demonstrate like your unique value, you know? So a lot of that is like, like we're sitting here because we're one of the few music podcasts in Chicago. We're one of the oldest podcasts in Chicago. We were the first music podcast in Chicago. So there's not a lot of people doing what we're doing. If we were, you know, if Layla and I were a DJ team, we probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys because there's a billion DJs in this city and there's some really good DJs in this city. You know, there's, there's some people who are really, really talented and really skilled at that and they should totally be doing it. But there's also a, a bunch of people who don't need to be doing it. So don't be that guy who's just like, hey, I'm also joining the party that has 700 people or whatever. And the other thing is that if you're going to do an internship, if you're going to go work anywhere, if you're going to be doing any kind of creative work and you're going to be working under somebody who's been doing it longer or even working alongside somebody who's your peer, the best thing you can do is come up to them and say like, hey, why don't we do this project together? Here's how I can make things easier for you or here's what the value would be for you. You don't go up to people and say like, hey, hey, Martin, give me a job. Give me this much money. Let me teach these four classes. Give me, give me, give me. But if you come up to somebody and you say, like, hey, I would love to do this project with you. I can make it really easy. You know, I'll do this much of the work. It'll bring this kind of attention to us, this kind of profit. I'll handle all the video work. You won't even have to get your hands dirty with this. I'll take care of all of it. It'll be done before you know it. If you, if you kind of come up to people with that kind of language, then that goes a long way. Because no one wants to hear, give me this or do this for me. Everyone wants to hear, hey, Let's collaborate on this. This is what I'll do for you. This is what the value is going to be for you. Here's where it'll be super easy for you. I mean, whenever Layla and I do these kind of sessions, we bring all our own equipment. We try to do all the promotion ourselves. We try to set up as much of it as, our, as we can on our end so that when we show up, we just sit down and plug in and Martin doesn't have to do anything and Martin doesn't have to go in a different room and go get us his microphones and his interface and we're using someone else's laptop and because that'd be a nightmare. We just try to make it easy. So, so go out there, like, you know, network, demonstrate what your value is, what you're good at that other people aren't, how you can make things easier for whoever you're going to work for, or what, you know, if it's not easier, then maybe you can make them more money, or maybe you can get them a different kind of promotion, or maybe they don't know how to make an app and you do, or they don't know how to make videos. Bring them something that's going to make their life easier that they don't have that you're especially good at, you know? How long should anyone expect to be busting their ass just to get into it that's another really good question that's really hard to quantify with a set answer i mean it's on some level i think it's something that like everybody maybe just knows on their own but also like i think that there's a lot of value in learning from other people like doing an internship with maybe like a big radio station a big newspaper a big venue and then either as part of that or outside of that starting to build your own thing whether you even if it's just like a tumblr portfolio and you're starting to put the videos that you produce up there or you're starting to showcase your instagram work or you've thrown three parties and you're putting the pictures and the video and the flyers and stuff up from that party start doing things on your own you know um one of the terms that i think is kind of a buzzword right now is like entrepreneur which is like an entrepreneur but instead of like just going out on your own in the desert and building something from scratch you're 
part of a larger company and you're either building something for them and you're, or you're building something on your own while still doing the larger work, which is kind of a safer thing too because then maybe you're earning some money or even if you're not earning some money, you're still associated with whatever thing you're doing. So, you know, don't be an intern for 14 years or anything like that. But to me, it's like, if you've got a good gig, like I've had gigs where maybe I wasn't getting paid a whole bunch or I wasn't maybe getting other things that I could have benefited from from that thing. But it was still a great place for me to be and it's still a really big name to put on my resume or a big boon in terms of just being able to tell people like, hey, I do such and such. So, you know, sometimes it makes sense to stay someplace even if you're not getting everything you need from it because it's it brings a lot of value to your name, and then in the meantime, you can be out in you know the garage building your own thing, you know, on Tumblr or Instagram or you know Twitter or YouTube or Vimeo or UStream or any of these kind of things. I think it's just important to be building your own thing, whether you're learning from other people or not. But especially if you're learning from somebody else, also be building up what you're going to do outside of that. I think that's really good. Uh... That's really good advice. Once again, you know, we, we looked at Nimbit last week, and Rachel from Nimbit was like, hey, selling on iTunes is great, but you don't have the email address. Yeah. Sell through Nimbit. You've got the email address. You can sell 10 more things to that person. And email, you know, people talk about this, Martin. I'm sure you know this. People talk about, like, email is so important, and we need to make an email list for dynasty podcasts. We need interns so badly. Um, but email, the real value of email is that you don't own your social network on any site. You know, uh, if you've got a hundred thousand Twitter followers and then let's say Twitter gets bought by Fox and then Fox totally fucks up Twitter. And then, you know, it has no value as a social network, like what happened, like MySpace or something like that. Then those a hundred thousand followers don't matter. And you don't own that, or they could revamp it, or they could lose all your followers. But if you have email addresses, you own those. And that's, uh, it sounds kind of abstract. So, you, you know, I teach social media, so you come into class and, like, you know, we'll look at Friendster and MySpace and, you know, and then... Graveyard. Then, yeah, and then here we are. It's Facebook, Twitter, and Snapchat, whatever else is going on. And that feels quite solid. To me, it doesn't, because I lost... I've got 80,000 fans, friends across nine MySpace accounts that I was thinking of data mining for my uh, Kickstarter campaign but we just had to launch sooner than we wanted to because of the Amanda Palmer thing but um, you, you're right, it's it's not like those people are lost that, that's your retirement plan, that's your that's your launching pad for the next level if you don't have that information yeah, email is really important, um, you know, and, and that's not to say, like, Instagram and all these things that are really viable right now aren't important, but who knows what's going to matter in five years. Maybe Instagram will still, like, I love Instagram right now. I really do. Maybe Instagram will just be totally awesome in five years, but maybe Facebook will just totally not exist. So if you have... Yeah, history would teach us that yeah. Facebook will be shit, Instagram will be a joke. You know? I hope not, but yeah, absolutely, it well, totally could be. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, if we look at every pl what platform, what platform is not eight years old and not laughable? I think Gmail. But I don't think Gmail's eight years old. I think Gmail's the only one that I could see as like, you know, because Gmail's so great and it's so essential. Well, let's not discount AOL. <laughs> Martin is AOL still on the AOL. AOL nine, I think, is so much better. <laughs> than eight. I know I've got to get off of it. But but it still works. Sure. But um 
I don't know what the life of these platforms is, but maybe five to five to eight years, maybe. Yeah, I mean, and I think for a lot of them, it's not going to even be that long, you know. So some some make a comeback. Live Live Journal, Live Journal's coming back. I did not know that. That's one that's been they've been updating their website and doing new things on there. So. But it's definitely, what is it now, Tumblr? Vine, I didn't get into, really. Vine has like a niche audience. Like the, the audience that loves Vine really loves Vine. But I don't think it's near as universal as like Instagram. I don't know if anyone has any questions they want to jump in with about radio or podcasting or social media or anything like that. Hi, I'm Ian Atkins. Uh, my question would be to you, Haima, is like, how did you go about like getting your first internship when you were at like an entry level spot where you didn't really have that many ex- that much experience and like just going up to a business or anything you were really interested in? It's kind of uh, a little frightful, a little like you don't really know what you're walking into if the people are going to be mean to you. You know what I'm saying? I was, I think, too stupid to think of it that way. <laughs> I think I was just like, I mean, okay, literally the very first internship I ever got happened because I went with my girlfriend at the time who was a year older than me in high school. <laughs> she was a sophomore, I was a freshman, but she was really smart, so she was taking classes for juniors. So she was writing her junior essay something. I don't remember what it is, but her junior essay for English class um, about radio. You know, it's like our, our big thing we had to do in our high school was like our junior essay. I don't even remember what I did mine on. And so that girl who I was dating set up an appointment with Loyola Radio because she was able to interview the music director, I believe, at Loyola Radio. I went with her because, A, I wanted to see a real radio station, and, B, there was a tool shirt I wanted at the Water Tower Place, like, music store, and it was across the street from Loyola Radio. So I was like, I'll go get that tool shirt. So I went down with her, changed my whole life because I wanted to meet radio people and get a tool shirt. Um, And while she was going to talk to the, you know, interview the music director, I went to bother i think i got stuck with the or rather the promotions manager got stuck with me she was totally babysitting me and i was just so geeked i was like oh my like i thought i was in k-rock i thought i was at the playboy mansion i was in a tiny little room you know near water tower near the hancock at a college radio station with like all these like you know ani defranco posters and stuff like that and i just could not have ever been any place cooler and I was like geeking out and she was I think I either asked or she offered me an internship with their promotions department and that was how I first started and then I was trying to set up an appointment or an interview with Chris Payne to interview him for I saw what my friend did my girlfriend at the time and so I wanted to set up an interview with Chris Payne who I worked with you know for like a college or a high school paper I was working on. And so I just kind of kept calling the business line, calling the request line, saying, can I interview him? And then I like would see him out at some of the events I would go to. I was like soft stalking him, he knows. And I was kind of like, can I get an internship? Can I work with you? Can I do anything? And, you know, it was like, I was way too young to be doing an internship at a rock, like a, a real, you know, FM station. But I kept bugging my, career people at my high school to like call the business line on the radio station of rock 135 and call and call and call and they kept calling and finally the promotions manager called them back set up the interview for me to go interview with chris payne after i'd like been bugging him on my own and then the school had been going to the business line and what happened was i didn't know this but what happened was chris payne i guess talked with his wife 
And he was like, man, there's this like teenage kid who won't leave me alone. <laughs> you know, he's like 15 and he's blowing me up to like work for me. I can't bring him on. And his wife, who I just, oh, I should buy a house to, you know, <laughs> she goes, well, how old were you when you first got your first break? And he said, oh, well, someone gave me a break in radio when I was 14. And she goes, there you go. And that's the only reason I am sitting in this room right now. Yeah. So, you know, he brought me on very begrudgingly. I think he was maybe not thrilled about kind of having a Robin to his Batman who was like 15, you know, but I just, you know, at first I kind of sucked and then I tried to be better and better and, and, you know, I didn't know the term, but just really bring value to what he was doing. And, you know, I was lucky enough that he brought me on again at Q101 and then that's where it really kind of took off and we worked together for like 13 years. But yeah, I was just too dumb to be scared. That's really what it was. I was just too dumb and excited. I was like, I was like a dog that gets out of the out of the yard and it doesn't know that it shouldn't run because it could run into the street to get hit by a car. I was just like, oh my god, I just want to run, you know. That's, but that's. I I just thought of this this word while you were describing that, which is tenacity, right? I mean, you know, I think sometimes we send an email and we don't get a response, and we're like, well, you know, like the the court of opinion, that, that you know, and and not realizing that that people are just super super busy and it's going to take it takes three emails and a couple of reminders to make anything happen you know and um so i i I, i'm worried that maybe some students are most tell me if i'm wrong maybe more sensitive or we would would we we just idiots well i think it's important to not give up and you know like you're talking about just be be persistent. The thing is that I've really subscribed to as I get older is that let's say that let's say you wanted to go, you know, work at like one of the big newspapers or one of the big radio stations and, you know, you keep trying and you network with people and you're hitting them up and you're pleasant and you're, you know, and let's just say it's just not happening. Then go make your own radio show or go make your own blog or go make your own video series or go do your own event series or go, you know, if you can't get into the bigger tower where it's already happening go make your own version and then one or two things will happen if you stick with it either it'll turn into its own thing like like what we're doing right now at the podcast we've been doing it nine years but it was not always something where we were getting invited to speak places and we just kept doing it so it's either you stick with it long enough that other people start to recognize it or it becomes its own thing and you make it your own business you know but some people just do their work really hard, and then, you know, four years later, maybe they get brought into the company they wanted to, or they get brought into a different company, or they go out to L.A., or, you know, it, it's just, it's all about sticking with it. That's the only thing you have to do, and you either make it your own, or someone else will recognize your hard work and bring you in. Is it is the podcast at a point right now, are you able to monetize it? Well, yeah, we do monetize it, you know. Um, not like every single broadcast or anything like that, but we have... You know, some partnership sponsorship opportunities. We do some live events where we get paid. You know, it's it's something that I'm, you know, we're working on finding ways to create, you know, compelling, engaging content that on its own is worth existing. And then the secondary kind of step is like, and now how can we turn this into like a sponsorship or an event series or go out of town and do something with it, you know? So it's kind of twofold. It's one, just like, oh, it's just cool to go talk to these people. It's cool to talk to Chance the Rapper Rise Against just because it's cool. And then, wow, we've got 400 shows. Why don't we pitch this company and see about doing a residency? Or why don't we see about doing this? 
So, you know, that is happening slowly, um, but surely, like, we've got some good deals this year, but it's not like it's every day. People are not just throwing money at us yet. But it's it's interesting, you know, that you say that, that um, you've got this content, and um, uh, to, to grapple with that and, and find a way to, to use that. They say the content is king, and if you've got that unique content, I, I, I saw a pyramid I don't know, something like there's people who, who don't do anything, just consume, view. Then there's people who repurpose other content. I mean, I, I clicked on a ministry video on my Facebook page over the weekend. I'm like, oh, I've forgotten. This is kind of crazy. And hundreds of people were like, there was a conversation that was kind of cool, but it was just one click for me. And then there's people who create content. And that's, that's the game. That's the deal. It's yeah. creating it. Yeah, I mean, creating content is really key. You know, the the thing that I see a lot is that if, let's say that we put together one big podcast in January, and maybe it was an hour long and had, like, all these great guests, if we just put that out, and we said, that's our 2014 output, nobody would remember it. We got to put out two or three or four shows a week or be doing live events and updating Instagram so people see that's. We always have to be doing things. You can never... There's never, if you want to be in any part of like music or media or entertainment or culture or tech or really anything, if you want to be doing anything now and you want to stand out and you want to be able to continue doing it or be able to monetize it or get paid or get recognized, you have to keep doing it. And there will be days and weeks and months where maybe no one notices, but it's better to have it not be noticed than to stop. You know, and I'm not saying do it foolishly. If, if you do it for 14 years and no one notices, stop. But sometimes you just have to keep powering through and then you get to that point where you're like, oh, cool. Well, now we got to this new project, you know, like South by Southwest is always a big one for us. And then maybe there might be a lull after that, you know, but we know that we just did big, something, something big at South by and then we start working towards the next thing. And do, I know. Do you feel cycles in that? I've, oh, yeah. Just sometimes just bringing people in here or anything I'm involved in, you'll feel like, oh, okay. There's there's a little bit of a hot streak going on, and I know that's when I should stay up late, get up early, add three more things, just to really make it uh, peak. Throw some gasoline on on that. Yeah, you always. I mean, I always know when it's like. Yeah, sometimes we'll have a dry spell where it's like we put out four podcasts that maybe are, I think are good content, but they're just not setting the world on fire. There's other things going on. People care about soccer. People care about just other stuff, and that's fine. But it's you know we still got to put it out. And then, yeah, we'll hit something like a Lollapalooza or a South by Southwest or, you know, maybe just do, like when we, a couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago, had Elijah Alvarado and Austin Vesley, the directors in here, um, and they spoke and we interviewed them here at SAE. People loved that. I've been able to, to continue to promote that content. They continue to promote that content. That's something that, you know, and they're not the biggest names in the world, nothing against those guys, but they're not, it's not like we brought on like Katy Perry and Beyonce, you know, we brought on two like behind the scenes guys, but it was just, it was a good podcast. It was good content and that continues to live on. So, right. And, and just because we're talking about the, the monetization of this, but it's not all about monetization. It's about the accrual of traction. Is there all the wrong words? Kind of. No, but, no. Yeah. But I think I said to you, any, and we're trying to do something in July. Anytime you want to do anything, there's an 85 seat theater. Whereas 
anybody else coming in off the street, 85 seat theatre, yeah, that's $500 for the afternoon. Do you need a PA system? That's another 200 Just complete shagging. But here you are. So that's the reason to keep doing things. Well, what I've seen a lot is because we don't have a huge budget on the podcast at all. And when I say we don't have a huge budget, it's oftentimes like what I have on my debit card, you know? We don't have like backers. We don't have angel investors or anything. And so a lot of times... If you're creative, if you can create something of value that you can bring to people, you can bypass like money sometimes. You know, you can say like, "Hey, listen, we can't pay for this room, but we can do an event, and you know what? We will we'll book top level talent to speak. We're going to record it. We're going to promote it for a month on the front end. Once we put the recording up, we'll promote that for a month and a half on the back end. We'll film it. We'll stream it so people can watch it live. The video will go up a month after the audio." You know, so for you giving us a room for an hour, you're getting six months of promotion. And that's right. a good deal that great deal. probably is worth more than if we gave someone $500. $500 is great for like that day, but if you get six months of promotion for giving someone an hour of your resource, and I'm not just talking about here, but we've been able to do that a lot with the podcast where we can go to people and, you know, not everybody buys into it, and that's fine, but sometimes you can go to people and say, like, listen, we don't have money to necessarily pertain you know kind of obtain this this space or this service or this you know whatever but we can do this this and this for you and we'll work extra hard at it and sometimes that's enough Mm. i know that she had a question too Um, waiting patiently okay so i mean what's your name my name's alicia okay um we've learned a lot about social media and it obviously has a lot of great uses a lot of great things you can do with it but since all these platforms are going to be irrelevant in a few years, um, what is really their long-term value? And is it possible that maybe your time is better spent forming personal relationships with people? Yeah, that's a really good question. So kind of the really overly simplified cliche answer is you have to do everything. And that sounds way easier than it is. You know, you have to, there's a lot of days when I just sit on my laptop for maybe three days straight because I'm editing and emailing and working on proposals and all this really unglamorous, unsexy, boring work that, according to all these new reports, is probably going to kill me in three years from all that sitting. Oh, you posted, was that, was you posted that? Yeah. The graphic, yeah, I looked at that, thanks, that really upset me. Yeah, it's very, very distressing. So, um, so it's a lot of that, but at the same time, I've fallen into the trap myself where I, I spend all this time creating, you know, months just creating stuff for online and I don't interact with anyone in the real world enough or in a significant, meaningful way. And what happens is I could create 74 million podcasts in a month. And if I don't interact with anyone in real life in a significant way, it honestly has very little value. What I saw, you know, when I stopped doing the radio station, when I was, you know, done with the radio station uh, when they went off the air, uh, Layla and I set up a uh, residency at Rocket Bar and Grill, so right up the street over in River North, not far from here, and we did a live panel series for about a year. We did four or five panel events. We brought in, Martin, I think you were on one of them. Yeah, it was a blast. Yeah. So we brought in really, really great panelists. We recorded it. We filmed it. We streamed it. We brought in live audiences. It was really, really a cool series, and we've done variations on that ever since, but what I'm getting at is we had done the podcast by that time for like six years. And the engagements and interactions I saw and awareness of the podcast I saw just after doing a year of that, only like five events was so 
above and beyond anything we had from just six years of putting stuff out online without doing live events. And so now we do as much of this stuff as we do where it's just the normal version of the podcast where I'm interviewing a band or a promoter or a venue owner or something like that. Because the live events, whether it's, you know, a room like this where, you know, there's maybe like 12 of us in here or you're at Rocket Bar and Grill or you're at, you know, we've done events at City Winery. What I'm getting at is like, yeah, you can have all the internet presence that you want, but if you don't have any in real life interaction, it doesn't hold as much longevity, I don't think, and there's not as much awareness. Because people get inundated with internet stuff all day, and you could be the biggest deal on Instagram or the biggest deal on Tumblr, but that doesn't mean that you're all anyone thinks about, you know? So even if you have a million followers on Instagram, most people are going about their day-to-day life not thinking about you, but if they see you at an event and they listen to you speak for 10 minutes and maybe they relate to something you or one of your guests says, that might stick with them. So that's a lot of what we've seen is, you know, having the internet presence is obviously important. Putting out constant content is important, but it's just as, if not more important, to do live events, to go always be meeting other people, go attending other people, going to attend other people's events, supporting other people, all that stuff. Just being out in real life is so important, and I think the internet has made some people think that it's not. My, my yardstick for that is if, you know, there's one group of lazy assholes who would take the out if they could as politicians, you know? If, if the internet was the be-all, end-all, they'd just press the button and they'll launch their campaign. But they don't. They just, they're, they're everywhere all the time. Yeah. Uh, it's, but this, the combination of the two, I think, is really... Good. It's interesting you say that about the Rocket, uh, the the Grill series, because that was a great series, and I felt like it it kind of shone a light on what you were doing, you know. It absolutely did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Layla saw it. Like it, it was, it was really night and day for us. It it really opened so many doors. There have been a couple like milestones we've hit on the podcast. We had Perry Farrell on, maybe like two thousand seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there, you know. We were just lucky enough to get some time with him at one of the Lollapalooza press conferences. And that was a big stepping stone for us because we'd never really had anyone on Perry's level on. And then, yeah, doing the Rocket Bar and Grill and then, you know, doing some of the South by Southwest stuff we've done. So it's, it's, you know, I mean, what I've really taken from that is that you're never, ever, ever at a point where you can just get comfortable and say, like, well, everyone already knows us. You, I mean, it's every day. It kind of sucks. You can never sleep. You can never... Not literally never sleep, but like you every Pretty day much, you have to no. be reinventing <laughs> and and continuing to justify your presence. It's gone are the days where you're just the biggest, you know, not you. I'm not speaking to you personally, like you're doing this. But you know, in general, like if you're a musician or if you're a content creator or whatever, you can't just assume that you're gonna be big forever. You always have to be justifying your place in line because people I've seen so many people get kicked out so easily because they decided they didn't need to put in the work anymore or they just decided they were too big for the room and but, and that's yeah. that's a reason why you better on some level you know I don't always love editing video but I, I do it to throw up to memorialize things and put up hit the YouTube angle you better love large chunks of this because if you don't you'll never put in the hours that will make the difference yeah and somebody is, else will yeah that's that's both of those are so true. If you're not going to do the work, someone else will. My name's Bill, by the way. I think it's important to hit an angle of being all over the internet on all the platforms and, and make sure that you have like a, 
a presence in, in everybody's life, even if they're just a fan or, or a friend. You know, it's somewhere where you could see that something's going on in their life and you can reach out and help out or they could reach out and help you out. And it's kind of like, hate to say this, but it's like living in a maze and getting people to the cheese. And necessarily that cheese could be your email address or whatever content um, it is that you want to get to them or get from them. And if you're not, if you're not doing that and you're not in that environment, then you're just losing out on that. And everybody moves from platform to platform. I mean, everybody that was once on MySpace is now on Facebook and people are integrating over to like Tumblr and all these other social media sites. So it just seems to follow. So if you don't realize the trend that people are moving from one platform to the other, you're going to miss out again and not be there with them. Yeah. I mean, it's not just that. It's like, it's not just enough almost to like catch up to the trends. Like you either have to know where they're going to be or make a trend. Like I was telling, I, I just got done just like an hour ago with another uh, speaking engagement, just like this, just exactly like this with uh, JMA, Jeff, Klus, Jeff McCluskey and Associates, you in know, the, radio In the promotion. conference room? Yep, yep. The awesome conference room with all of the amazing plaques of Katy Perry and Smashing Pumpkins and Kanye West, just amazing historic stuff. So we just got done talking about this, and it's not enough to just catch up and be like, oh, everybody's on Instagram now. I'll go catch up to Instagram. I was telling them that like somebody should literally leave the room while I'm talking and go create a music program for Oculus Rift because no one's doing that. No one's done that. That's where you should be. If I had the time and the skill, I would totally go do that right now if I had an Oculus Rift to, to fuck around with because no one's doing that. And instead of being like showing up in 2014, July, being like, we're another hip-hop blog, people are going to be like, oh, my God, you're another blade of grass. But if you were like, hey, we're an Oculus Rift music program, People are going to go, uh, I, don't know what, I don't know what that is. And then if you're doing it a year from now, people are going to go, oh, I've kind of heard of that. And then if you're still doing it five years from now, people are going to be like, oh, shit, that's awesome. Like, you guys are like the first ones to do an Oculus Rift music program. You know, and I don't even know if that'd be a viable thing. But I know that it's something that doesn't exist right now that somebody eventually is going to find a way to do. And it's like, why not have that be you? So it's looking at, like, where is this not even happening that it could be happening and just going there, that's my favorite thing versus trying to play catch up, you know. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not enough to just, like, just be content and be in one place. We were, we were talking in a, a different class about crowdfunding. And it just dawned on me how Amanda Palmer, whether you like her music or not, and I don't particularly, I just have tremendous respect for what she's done. Where She's always kind of intersected. Here's her music. Here's her output intersecting with a new platform it was twitter and then it was uh, kickstarter so kind of like attaching herself in a way to to be this like cool sidebar story for an emerging brand you know it just seems ultra smart yeah she's me. she's super super smart you know i don't know layla if you wanted to get involved here but i mean you know amanda palmer it, it looks like not <laughs> Do you want me to tell you a story? It's like hugely not. It's always weird if I talk She's always like a little... Well, it's weird now. You made it really weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you want to tell you a story about Amanda Palmer? Sure. Yeah, so that's our producer, Layla. And I just, this is an example, I think, of, of Amanda Palmer really valuing and knowing how to connect with her audience. Um, was it 2010? 
They're doing the Dresden Dolls 10 year anniversary show reunion tour thing. They're playing at the Vic. I lived three blocks from the Vic at that point in time. I really wanted to go. I really wanted to buy tickets. I was broke in college. I couldn't afford to buy tickets until they were sold out. So for some reason, I just thought I would do this and it would work and it actually worked. And my plan was, well, I'll just ask Amanda Palmer on Twitter, like if I give her something, if she'll give me a couple tickets to the show. So I hit her up and I was like, hey, I live three blocks from the venue. You can use my apartment. You can pet my cat. I'll serenade you with cello. I'll give you tea, whatever you want, but can I get tickets to the show? And she kind of took me up on it, thought about it, day of, gave me her phone number, met up with her um, on her trailer outside of the Vic, took her back to my apartment. She half fell asleep on the couch. I played her Bach. She tried to learn how to play my cello, which went better than one would expect, but not great. And then she invited me to go back to uh, the Vic and busk in the venue on the second floor until the show started. Loaned her my toy piano for the evening because they weren't touring with one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's amazing. So you know who else is really good at that stuff? The Pope. <laughs> no, he, no, he's fantastic. He, um, Layla he, reached out to him on Twitter, too. <laughs> he he called, I mean, I don't think Amanda does this calculatingly at all, and I don't know if the Pope does. He called some woman in Lithuania to say, it's okay, you can still take communion, but your divorced, remarried husband can't. Right? So, so and then every news wire service in the world picks up that story. The Pope called this woman and he gets his message out by doing that. And here you are standing up four years after this event, mm-hmm. eulogizing um, Amanda Palmer, which is, it's, that's the new, that's the new game. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's not a game. It has to be authentic. So I'm not, right. I'm not yeah. saying that's what she does because it's it's time consuming well i mean it is what she does that's why i hit her up i thought you know you ask anyone on twitter for anything any celebrity is going to be like no any artist but if there's anyone who would do it and just be like well this is a crazy adventure i don't know where i can go it's amanda palmer and she seemed genuinely nice and happy there's nothing false about any of it but you sprinkled your your hospitality brownie with the elements that would appeal to a man you could pet my cat play my cello you know yeah, I mean, I always look at it as, like, it's amazing, an amazing testament to, like, I always feel so dumb saying the age we live in, but the age we live in, because when I was, a, you know, not that Layla was a teenager, but, like, when I was in, like, high school or college, I, I couldn't, like, get a hold of Tool and, so like, hang out at my house before you play the air god and pet my dog and I'll make you guys brownies. Like, that would not... I wouldn't have been able to do that. And if I tried to get close to them, I would have gotten beat up by security. And now with Twitter, Layla could send, like, one or two tweets and that totally happens twitter is that's probably the coolest thing about twitter i think just this new unusual different platform that we can communicate through it's an equalizer yeah i don't know that's an awesome story thank you for sharing that with us um so can we talk about the mechanics of a podcast yeah yeah i mean layla might want to still keep a mic for that um you know we can if you want feel free to jump in so i don't know where do you want to start with so how do you start a podcast? What do you do? Okay. So, I mean, I guess we can kind of walk through describing the life to death or like the beginning to end of like one podcast. So generally what it entails is like I learned from Local 101 from my time at the radio station, Q101, it's best to create content around something happening for your guest. So like if Martin's releasing a new book, I'll probably ask to speak to him on the podcast. 
if a band that I want to talk to is releasing a new album, I'll talk to them around the new album being released. If I want to talk to, say, like Rise Against, and I reach out to their publicist two years after their album dropped, and they don't have a new album out for another two years, and they're not touring, and I say, hey, can I set up an interview? They're going to go, no. Why? There's nothing happening. What are you going to talk about? Soccer? You know, like, there's, there's no conversation there. But if I reach out to... Well, there is a conversation there. I mean, come on. Sure. Soccer. Yeah, absolutely. So I just had to interrupt. <laughs> so, but, you know, we, we try to identify bringing on a guest when they have something happening. If they have a book, if they have an album out, if they're going to play Lollapalooza, if they just got done playing South By, one of those kind of things. If it's just a straightforward one-on-one, just sitting down with the band thing, I've got a handheld little Olympus recorder that I use and I love. We put a mic windscreen on it and you know i just talk with them it's usually 15 minutes long i throw that in garage band i edit it um so that it we took out the ums and the clicks and all those kind of things so you know it's not noticeable edits nobody would ever notice the difference but i do and then you know we throw a little reverb on it record an intro and outro which i hate you know you're talking about how you hate sitting and taking the time to edit video i hate doing these intros and outros they it's 40 seconds of audio and it takes me so much longer to do those than it takes to do the actual interview i have to i have to write the script for each one i have to record them i have to edit the intro then edit the outro as two separate garage band files i have to then import them into like the main file and then add like a little like buffer sound effect around the actual interview and the intro and outro then bounce it into itunes and then format it in iTunes and put in the metadata in the iTunes track, add the artwork, upload it to SoundCloud, add the metadata description into SoundCloud, add the artwork into SoundCloud, put all the tags in the SoundCloud, make it downloadable, hit upload, take the SoundCloud file, go into Tumblr, make a Tumblr blog post, put in the artwork, put in the podcast, put in the description, put in the title, take the Tumblr blog post, Throw it, into IT, or throw it into Twitter, throw it onto Facebook, post about it on Instagram. That's kind of the birth and death of a podcast, and then you just repeat 400 times. If it's something like this, where we're doing it live and we've got you know, multiple, like you know, the nice microphones, the real microphones, going into like, the interface. I mean, Layla, you can kind of talk about more of what that entails, because this is when I bring Layla in, when we do like a live podcast like this, and there's going to be more than one audio track and... You know, this is a little bit more involved. Oh, good question. I don't know. It doesn't seem too involved to me. It's I'm just recording everything we do live basically into Reaper because it's easy to record live into. And then as for editing stuff, I'm taking it out of Reaper and I'm putting it into Pro Tools because I like Pro Tools. I understand Pro Tools. Editing it there, make sure I get rid of all of, I don't know, clean it up basically is all I do, maybe add a little bit of compression, make sure everyone's talking at the same volume, and then give it to Haima to do all the finishing touches on it and add the intro and outro, however he wants to do it. Well, you make it a single track, too. You know, if we have six speakers on the podcast, that's six different vocal tracks, and you condense it into one track, and then I go in. You know, we always describe it as she does the, the, like, technical editing, and I do the content editing. So she makes it one track and makes the audio piece... A whole complete piece of content and then I'll go in and I'll say oh man this person didn't mean to say this let's take that out 
you know, and Layla's not worried about what they're saying. Layla's just worried about making sure that the quality and the technical side of things is taken care of. So, you know, it's a, it's a split job, but Layla does a lot of the heavy lifting with, and she's downplaying it, but she does a lot of the heavy lifting with the recording and formatting and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, that's kind of like, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of the process on our end with just the normal audio podcast we do. And then if it's video, there's video editing. If they're streaming, that gets a lot more confusing. It's different every time. But, you know, by and large, artists, you know, what we just said is a lot of what we're doing most of the time. And do you, what what platform do you podcast from? Just everywhere? Well, we, we're mainly on SoundCloud. SoundCloud has been really good to us. We've built a relationship with SoundCloud. Don't they have a storage issue, a volume issue? We we have their top plan, which is not very pricey at all. But yeah, you know, we have a relationship with SoundCloud. But, but that's another example, just for we're you know we're going into business. It's another example. You do the stuff, and it gets easier to do the stuff. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I mean, we we were one of the earlier podcasts on SoundCloud. Again, like go where other people aren't. Go go be someplace early a friend of mine michael wing who was in the dj groups midnight conspiracy and autograph you know their midnight conspiracy is a huge huge deal and autographs coming up you know it's a great dj products projects and michael's a great guy he's a friend of mine he was an early contributor to the podcast not just a guest but he was a co-host and contributor for a couple of years um before we really were doing it quite as seriously when it was just kind of a scene you know more about the scene you know for like some of the younger audience so anyway so michael wing who is definitely a fan of this podcast friend of the podcast uh he suggested to me once like 2010 he was like why don't you start putting the podcast on soundcloud because we couldn't find a platform that would work we couldn't find a platform where we could host them um you know there was there was itunes but we couldn't embed from itunes and we wanted to be able to embed it in blog posts because i was doing more blogging michael suggested soundcloud i got on soundcloud started uploading the content uploading the podcast somehow I don't remember exactly necessarily how, but somehow we got in touch with SoundCloud. I don't know if we reached out to them or they reached out to us. They asked us if we would be interested in being beta testers for them for the set, for the podcast portion of SoundCloud versus just it primarily was um, DJ mixes at the time, and that kind of started a little bit of a relationship with them. We've never like worked directly for them. We've never been paid for them paid by them or anything like that but we have collaborated we we've done some collaboration with them at south by southwest you know they've supported us and showcased us on their blog on the main soundcloud blog and we've been able to build like fifty thousand followers from that so so soundcloud has been our our main platform because i love it and i'm not saying that because they've been good to us but i really love it because the files are embeddable so if you wanted to put this recording on the sae site you can embed it very easily. It's just like a YouTube file. If I want to put it on my blog, I can embed it easily. And to me, that's why we're not in iTunes. And now it's just we have too much content to go back and start reformatting all 400 episodes. We're going to, at some point, get in iTunes. We really will. But, you know, the reason I didn't bother with iTunes originally is because iTunes wasn't embeddable and SoundCloud is. And if you can, if people can share the content, that's so valuable. Are there any podcasting, specific podcasting platforms? Well, I mean, you mentioned there's like Stitcher and there's there's a couple things like that, but all Podomatic. of them. Podomatic? Podomatic, yeah. I haven't really messed with Podomatic, but I know that that exists and I know Stitcher exists. I know the only reason we're not in Stitcher is because I'm pretty sure you have to be in iTunes for them to get that feed and we're not. You know, and it's it's one of these things that one day I will set aside a month and do that. I just have not had that window yet pretty much since we started. We need an intern. It's very hard to find good interns. Well, actually... Um 
one of the things that's coming up here, I want to start a podcasting class. Not not a not a sixteen week thing, but one of the audio weeks of audio where the students will be able to simply record an interview, load it, tag it, and upload it to someplace. I mean that's the thing, you know, when our description and Layla and I are talking about this, we've made it sound maybe like there's a lot of steps and for us there are, but it's only because we go pretty above and beyond and I'm pretty meticulous about it. All anyone really needs to do is just record something on an audio program on your phone and upload it to YouTube or SoundCloud. That's it. That's it's two steps. If you the most, you know, straightforward version of this is like two steps. Record audio, upload audio. And then that's it. But you don't, you don't smart, have to. It's smart to edit and compress oh, yeah. a little bit, and suddenly your your podcast sounds better. Mm-hmm. You know, people or people don't even know it sounds better. They just yeah, like they just it hear more. it and yeah, assume yeah. it's yeah. Yeah, I just want to make sure that it's like everybody knows that it. You don't have to take the forty steps we do. There's there's definitely a more accessible entry point to it. And then once you get comfortable, if you want to get just crazy Howard Hughes about it, you can. You know, but you don't have to. But I, I like the um, use of the podcast as a devi- as an access device. You know, it used to be a big video camera could get you into places. I like the idea of students going somewhere um, and um, interviewing someone that they're interested in uh, an internship with and do kind of following your steps. I mean, that's that's what got us to South by Southwest this year. Layla and I went to South by Southwest this year, you know, with Dynasty Podcast. We got brought down there. And got passes, and, and it was because we have this little handhold device, which is awesome. Yeah. Hi, it's Ian again. Um, uh, my question would be, is at any point, like, doing all these meticulous uh, steps, adding, like, more time to it, does that ever uh, hold you guys back from creating content more frequently? Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so much so. I have so many podcasts that are sitting on my desktop that need to be uploaded that if I was not... So control freak about it that would be up, but and I, I don't know that it's ever made a difference to anybody, but it's the thing where if someone downloads it, if somebody looks at the metadata, I want all of it to reflect that it's a professional operation. That's really what it comes down to, you know. But yeah, if I was if I was sloppier about it, I could I'd be we'd have another twenty shows. We wouldn't have a backlog, you know. Do you have somebody like uh, who did you say you had uh, from Jane's Addiction? Perry. With Perry. Happy yeah. Happy birthday, Perry! Here's, do you do you back catalog? Oh, repurpose. Events, repur- yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while, we do. You know. Um, um, yeah. You know. Sometimes we'll put something out where it's like, oh, you know, uh, Fall Out Boy has a new album. Here's when we talked to Patrick Stump last year, or you know. Yeah, we definitely do that. You know, we'll we'll dig into the archives every once in a while. I don't do it too much because I don't want to give the impression that we're just trying to coast off our old episodes. But you know, if it's if it's something relevant that ties into something happening now, sure, we'll like repost an old link just so that people can say like, oh, cool, like they did this way back when. Sometimes it's just cool to share those to be like, we had Chance the Rapper on like before his first mixtape dropped, or we had this. You know, just having those pieces of content. And I was talking about this in the other session I just did today. The nice thing about doing, you know, having podcasts and recording everything we do, every every appearance we do, is that if we're pitching somebody about something and we say, oh, we've done, you know, promote, we've done 
discussions with Columbia College, we've done SAE, we've done Social Media Week, we've done this and this and this, they don't have to take our word. We hyperlink all of it, and they can check on that, and they can listen to it if they'd like, and they probably don't, because they don't want to waste the time, but they can, and so I think that it goes a long way to be able to share with people, you know, when you're pitching someone and say, like, hey, we do this, and actually give them examples of it versus just saying, like, hey, Martin, we've got a billion followers, and we've had... You know, we did nine episodes of Katy Perry as the co-host, and we did all these things. And you're like, great, where is it? And we're like, uh, well, I mean, you know, we don't have it. And that doesn't mean anything. You know, it doesn't, we could say anything. But, yeah, if you can share what you've actually done and you have, you know, audio or video or whatever to back it up, then, yeah, people can check that out. I've been saying a lot recently there's no marketing anymore. There's just what you do and what you don't do and the evidence of what you do. Yeah. So, yeah. I think it's really important just to have the evidence because, yeah, I think I could tell people what I've done in 2000 or 2005 or 2009, but if I don't have anything to show it, then it's honestly a lot like I didn't do it at all. So 10 years to get to 100,000 listens, is that? Nine years, but yeah. Nine years? I mean, essentially 10 years. So where do you see where, where, how long to get the next 100,000? Hopefully year? not another 10 years. Two years? years? Yeah, hopefully in the next like acceleratable yeah i think we can turn it around faster you know we're producing more content we're doing more i think high profile content you know we're always just trying to make it better i mean that's the thing is like everybody has to do that for everything because it's not good enough to just be as good as you were three years ago anymore you know you have to always be reinventing and reinterpreting and it is actually pretty exhausting because you can't just be like oh we can just keep doing it and go on autopilot but it's also kind of more exciting because you keep trying new things or at least that's what we try to do uh, i have a question every day i see that uh chicago is rotating and turning more into a collaborative like creative musical hub for the midwest do you guys see your focus with dynasty podcasts uh focusing these next couple years a lot more in chicago or do you guys want to expand more out to other cities around the midwest to try and so bring it more back to Chicago. It's kind of both. Um, I don't ever see us being one of these companies that leave Chicago. I'm not trying to like throw shade on anyone who does leave Chicago. I just don't think that that's us. You know, I love Chicago. I love operating out of Chicago. Chicago's been really good to me, really good to us with the podcast. I would like to always be operating out of Chicago. I love living in Bridgeport. You know, like Martin. You know knows how great that is and it's it's a great it's the community of the future you know it's, it's a great neighborhood you can live really comfortably and, and we've got a really nice setup there and i have so much talent so many great guests such a great network here so i don't ever see us leaving chicago at the same time i would like to do a couple things i'd like to do more college gigs like outside of chicago like this maybe set up some workshops um and then i'm you know kind of looking at maybe having us do some other events in other cities but not leave Chicago for LA, but maybe go to LA twice a year to do like a live workshop or panel or something along those lines. So hopefully we can set that up where we're getting to go to other markets to do stuff, but we're not, you know, I don't see us ever just being like, sorry, we're done. We're going to Brooklyn. Bye. You know, I don't think that's us. All right. Question here. And this is Chance speaking. Um, I mean, not necessarily to dog what you're doing yeah. right now, but uh, don't you think, I mean, you have a congrats on 100,000, by the way. 
So don't you think had you have gone visual and done video podcasts that that would be tripled or quadrupled because people want to see it? Like, had you have had that interview with Chance the Rapper, I know like that'd probably be like millions of views right now. So here's the thing about that, which I'm not saying you're wrong because you're right. It is really hard, and it might sound like a cop out. It's really hard to get video people. I can't film while I'm interviewing somebody. You know, honestly, I've probably spent about seven years trying to get a good video producer. I've probably spent the whole time we've been doing the podcast before there was YouTube trying to get a good video producer and we've never gotten one or we've had them for very short windows and they go off. So do you think that would be to blame why you haven't yet crossed into the video realm? I don't think, well, I mean, two things. I don't think blame's the right word. So I'm not trying to like throw anyone under the bus. It's just, we haven't found the right person or we found people who are extremely talented and then they got picked up for other opportunities. We've had people who've done video for us go on to like bad girls club working for some really high-profile artists. So we got really talented people that just got other opportunities. And we we have done video. It's not like we've never done video. We have done video. We're on YouTube. We're on Vimeo. We're on Ustream. We're on Google Hangouts. We've done a lot of video, just not near as much as the audio. But, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, and again, it's, it's not really a blame thing. It's just how it's shaped up. If I could find a awesome, reliable, dedicated, hardworking persistent video producer i would bring them on in a heartbeat and some of our projects we get paid for they would get paid but we have not found that and it's been frustrating and part of it has been like i'd either spend all my time looking for a video producer or i can use that time to probably produce 10 more audio podcasts so yeah in a perfect world all of our content would have been video but then also we'd just kind of be jbtv too so yeah i do wish we had more video content though but it just hasn't worked out that way we have some but not, you know, not anything that compares to our 400 audio podcasts. So, but it, it was never a conscious choice. Like we were like, fuck video. We don't want to do that. I would love to do more video content. It's just a matter of, you know, but getting some extra help. That's really good information. There's a video program starting here. I mean. Six months or something. We have, and you know. get some video here also. The second a dedicated video intern wants to come and, you know, do some work, I'm not going to shut the door in their face. It really has just been kind of one of the problems we've, we've run into a lot is it's very hard to find reliable people just in general. Oh yeah. Just in general, not just video, but like if you, if you, you know, if you launched a company and you guys did it for 10 years and you didn't have like a huge budget and you were trying to like constantly be going into like new fields versus doing something that's reliably tested, it's really hard, especially in Chicago. I love Chicago, but it's very hard here to sell people on new ideas sometimes. It just gets hard to get people on board with that, you know? And a lot of the, the other thing that I see is that a lot of the creative talent that's younger, once they graduate, they don't stick around. They just go to L.A. or New York. So there's not this, like, pool of young, early, mid-20s talent that's looking for opportunities here. They all leave. So all those things kind of, you know, feed into it. And again, it's not a blame thing. It's just, it just hasn't worked out. We've been, honestly, we've been trying to get video interns or video producers or video help for almost a decade. I don't know why it's Great just never clicked on. You could do like a once a year YouTube high value episode where you're like, well, you're interviewing, we could do like, yeah, no, I'll never forget that interview with Chance the Rapper. And you could just kind of go to a sequence of stills yeah i've thought about uploading a lot of the podcast with still images and again it's it's more just a matter of like by and large this is a one to two person operation 
we probably produce about 150 podcasts a year and it's just trying to keep up with those it almost gets hard to add other things onto the to the kind of stack so i wish we had more video content though i really do so how, what's your time commitment to this to the podcast in general or mm-hmm. i mean i feel like it's something i'm always going to do it might no, not no i mean well yeah i mean on a weekly basis oh on a weekly 40 if i'm awake. hours if i'm no if i'm awake that's it if i'm awake this is what i'm doing you know i teach and i do this i was telling layla you know she has a job where she's working on the uh uh, right off the lake this year at Belmont Harbor, and I keep seeing all of her Instagrams, and I text her, and I say I'm jealous. I've been, you know, I, the other day I was working on a proposal. I worked on it for four days straight. I sent it off. I got some great notes back, and now I'm going to go back tonight and spend another all nighter working on it. So that's kind of what it means to work for yourself. It's very glamorous, but yeah, if I'm awake, I'm working on something that ultimately is related to the podcast. So, forty hours a week would be really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know it's the same way for you. Hilarious joke. Yeah. Someone said the other day, yeah, you have to have two jobs now. And I just laughed. And then somebody said, weekend. And I was just like, what what do you mean? Every trip I've taken since Q101 has gone off the air has been a conference trip. And I'm not complaining. It's amazing that I get to travel. But every time I've traveled in the last three years, I've been to a conference. And that's been every vacation I've taken. If it's not attached to, like, South by something or music conference something or tech something i don't go i've never just gone like i'm gonna go chill in la for a week or i'm gonna do a weekend in here no um my name is alex question is i know you said soundcloud so you've been doing it with soundcloud for a while and you also said one of the reasons you don't have it on itunes because you don't have the manpower right now to do it do how's your youtube are you doing anything with youtube are you putting anything on YouTube? Huh? Yeah, I mean, we have videos on YouTube. I think what is going to be more of our video content is going to be Hangouts. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Hangouts. So we have been doing Google Hangouts for about three years now or two years. However long it's been going on, we were really, like, pretty early on that because that was really exciting to me. And I think we're going to, instead of, like, trying to find an extra person and spending all this time trying to find a person who can come with us and film me interviewing, you know, whoever. I think what we're going to do is a lot more like video conferencing over Google Hangouts, which automatically formats that video into YouTube once it finishes. And then that's an easy way to get video content. It's an easy way to connect with anyone anywhere. And I really, really like Hangouts. I think it's a really exciting platform that people know about, but it's not like, um, it's not like Instagram. It's not like as many people are using Instagram as they're using Hangouts. So it's kind of still cool, like, semi-underground thing but that's i think how we're going to produce more video because we've got a nice webcam we've got a nice camera we can plug that into hangouts and then that video is done i don't have to worry about it um i know you're saying video but would you ever thought of just putting the audio on youtube uh yeah i mean again like that's one of these things where it's not like i'm opposed to it it's just a matter of like we we just don't have the time to keep up with the audio we're producing so going back and repurposing something for video, it really just comes down to time. I think it would be smart to, like you said, with the Chance the Rapper, just because we're on that subject, if you have like high-grade stuff like that, to just throw it on there. And since YouTube's one of the highest search things, it, it could just bring you, attention to your site and anything like that. You're totally right. I mean, here's, here's kind of the, the ultimate answer for a lot of that stuff. Next year is our 10-year anniversary in August, so not like a month from now, but like a year and a month from now. 
I think once we hit that 10 year, I'm gonna probably carve out some time before and around and during that year and probably repurpose and refocus a lot of our content and also shine a light on a lot of stuff. Cause we've got old, like when I mean, we gave like Flostronomus one of their first ever interviews, we got a lot of stuff that we could probably go back and be like, this is so-and-so from 2007. This is so-and-so from 2009 before people knew them. And I think we're gonna go back and find a way to like re you know re-release i don't know repurpose a lot of that content and i think next year will be the time to do it for the 10 year we'll probably dig into the archives and reshow a lot of what we have cool well thanks for taking yeah the man time this is this was great thank you guys in. so much for for well, listening like, and no, almost two hours flew by wow this is going to be like a two or three part podcast then so really man thank you guys so much for having us thank you martin for really always being so supportive of the podcast, you know, this is like, it sounds cheesy, but it's like, you know, we're an independent two person thing. It's like, we don't get anywhere unless people individually support us. So it always really means a lot and it's always appreciated, you know, and thank, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Layla Royale for, for engineering and producing always. So yeah, my name is Haima Black. Thank you guys so much for having us. Thanks for stopping by. This has been the dynasty podcast pod class series. You can find more Dynasty podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, my name is Jaime Black. Dynasty Descend.